0: Hi, welcome to Master Your Mind with me, Marissa Peer, teaching you the secrets to harness the powerful potential of your mind so you can have a fulfilled and happy and extraordinary life. Send your questions or your problems that you'd love me to solve to podcast at marissapier.com. Hi, today I'm talking to A very dear and old friend of mine, John Asaraf. John is known as being a mindset and a behavior expert. He's written two New York Times bestseller books. He's built five multi-million dollar companies. He's even featured in movies including The Secret and Quest for Success with Richard Branson and the Dalai Lama. And that's a had a very impressive introduction. I know John your life's work and your company Neurogym help individuals to unleash their full potential. You kind of unlock what's inside them and so I'm really excited that you're here and I know you've got so many amazing things to share with our audience. I know one of the biggest things you help people to do is to actually stop wishing and hoping about goals and how to really make your goals your reality. So I think the first question I want to ask you, because I know our audience, often they have goals, but they don't understand that they don't have goals because they don't know how to take a goal along the steps and to realize it, but you absolutely do. So can I start by asking you, what is your best advice for our audience in reaching their goals?
1: Sure. So, I mean, great question. Great to be with you. And, um, In the last 40 years, um, I've really done a lot of self-development on understanding uh, why do I do the things that I do? Why don't I do the things that I want to or know that I should do to achieve my goals? And that's taking me deep into the neuroscience and neuropsychology space, which is your domain of play also. And what I've discovered is that there are certain parts of our brain that are responsible for setting a goal and for getting excited about our goal but there are other parts of our brain that if we don't engage those parts of our brain or if we don't know how to regulate the emotions that try to hold us back from achieving our goals then in a lot of cases we have these stillborn goals where we don't achieve them even though we really want to so from a purely neuroscience perspective, in order to achieve goals, we want to have the clarity of what the goal is, and everybody knows that. We want to have the why we want to achieve those, because when we have a reason why we must achieve those, then we stop the fight that happens between the limbic emotional part of the brain and the logical prefrontal cortex of the brain. So, In a lot of cases, when people set goals, one of four things will get in their way. For example, if they set a goal, whether it's to lose weight and keep it off, get into a relationship that they wanna be happy in, uh, make more money, build a business, write a book, but they don't have the knowledge or skill on how to do it, one of the brain circuits called the sympathetic nervous circuit activates, and that is tied directly to self-doubt. It's tied to fear. Uh, What if I fail? What if I'm embarrassed? What if I'm ashamed? What if I'm ridiculed? What if I disappoint myself again? And since our brain is predicting every second of every day what this action may mean to my safety and well-being or to my comfort or discomfort, it's predicting all the time the future consequence. And if that happens to be a negative future consequence or present moment consequence, we put the brakes on behavior. We can actually see blood flow moving away from the motivational center in the brain, from the motor cortex part of the brain into the fear center part of the brain, which causes us to stay stuck and in our comfort zone. If we have limiting beliefs, that puts the brakes on behavior. If we have fears, and there's over 50 different types of fears that deactivate motivational centers and behavioral centers. Um, If we have a disconnect between our self-image and the goal that we want to have and our identity, these are all reasons that activate different circuits in our brain. And so we can talk a little about the networks and the circuits that are, you know, our bio, computer is made up of uh, a little bit deeper but that is the difference people just don't have the right user's manual and process for how to get themselves to go from goal setting to goal achieving
0: so how do they overcome that you're the expert in that so how what you said is all very valid i get that that we fear it going wrong so much that we actually block it going right but how do you help people overcome that
1: Sure. So, um, one of the things that I did in my newest best selling book, Inner Size, the new science to unlock your brain's hidden power, is help people understand a couple of techniques to strengthen their mind. So, we use exercise to strengthen our physical organs. I mm-hmm. created this term and trademarked this word called inner size to strengthen our neural muscles. So, for example, uh, if you have self doubt, if you are worried, if you are fearful, Um, We know that the circuit in the brain that's activated is the circuit called the sympathetic nervous system, which is directly tied to our fight, flight, freeze, or faint reaction, automatic reactions that have been evolving for billions of years and two million years, specifically in different um, uh, species of humans. And so what do we know about this circuit? Well, we know that, for example, if we just were aware of when we were in a state of self-doubt fear anxiety stress uncertainty if we just stopped and took six deep breaths slowly 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 in through our nose held it at the top for two or three seconds and then released it as if we are breathing out through a straw in six seconds, we can actually see this circuit in the brain deactivate the reactive circuit in the brain, and we can actually see the parasympathetic, the calm to respond circuit in the brain activate. So the first step is to understand that emotional regulation is a skill that you learn. And emotions are all triggered in your subconscious mind based on the meanings that you have given to things over the course of your life, mostly in childhood that got reinforced. So if we deactivated this circuit first, and then we activated the parasympathetic nervous system, which is our contour response system, and then in that state, we did what I call as inner size number two. And inner size number two is called AYA, awareness, intention, action is what that stands for. And in a calm, relaxed state, if we were able to observe what were my thought patterns for, let's say, the last 15 or 20 minutes, what was I thinking, feeling, and what were my behaviors? In a calm, relaxed state, we don't reinforce the stress circuit or the disempowering pattern that we have. So in a state of awareness of thoughts, emotions, feelings, sensations, and behaviors, without judgment, blame, shame, guilt, or justification. So without judging ourselves, without putting ourselves down, just observing a pattern and then setting an intention. What is my intention for the next 15 or 20 minutes? So my intention is to be positive. My intention is to take a little action. My intention is to be focused. My intention is to be confident. Then if we just took one little action step towards what we want, not only have we through the the practice of observation and not only through the deliberate intention and one small action did we interrupt the old neural pattern, but now we have just created a brand new pattern that we can now reinforce. And so those are two little beginner inner sizes for awareness and for us to re-pattern our brain, re-script our brain, re-script our story, but also reshape our self-image from somebody who is frozen in fear or uncertainty or doubt to somebody who could be aware of it and take an action step towards it. So now we are using our brain properly and our brain's made up of know three major networks and a variety of different circuits that turn on or off based on what triggers these circuits and in many cases it's external stuff that is triggering mm-hmm. these circuits but in a lot of cases you know we have a thought and that thought has got an entire neural pattern association to our past that triggers these circuits automatically without even thinking about it so awareness is what gives us the choice and it's in that choice If we are managing our mindset and regulating our emotions properly, then we're not victims of them. We can become victorious over them.
0: So you talk about 50 different types of fear, and I'm sure most of our audience have never heard of that. They probably know illogical fear. But could you tell me some of those 50 different types and the ones that really are the most detrimental to us as a species, as humans?
1: Sure. So um, the hierarchy of how our brain works, as you're well aware, is survival and safety first, avoidance of pain or discomfort second, energy conservation third, then gain of pleasure. Uh, And so when we think of achieving a goal, public speaking, going across the room and meeting somebody that we're attracted to, Mm -hmm. um, writing a book, starting our business and leaving our job, getting divorced and starting a life new, moving from one country to another. The initial excitement of the goal releases that dopamine in our brain. If we share it with other people, we might even release some oxytocin, the feel-good bonding hormone. But in the very next step, and by the way, that happens as a result of the prefrontal cortex, left prefrontal Mm. cortex specifically, which I call the Einstein brain the imagination, deductive reasoning, leader of the orchestra, shall we say. But in the very next second, there's another part of our brain called the Frankenstein's monster that I like to give people as a description. And Frankenstein's monster is there lurking in the background going, what if, what Mm -hmm. if you do this and you fail? Now, depending on the meaning that you have for failure, a lot of times people associate failing with them being a failure versus failing just means something that didn't work. What if you do this and you're wrong and somebody embarrasses you? So we can have a fear of failure. We can have a fear of being embarrassed. We can have a fear of being ridiculed. We can have a fear of being rejected. We can have a fear of disappointing ourselves one more time thereby reinforcing our low self-image self-worth or self-esteem that we have so we do more to avoid real or imagined pain or discomfort than we do to gain pleasure but the mechanisms by which our brain works is that it focuses on predicting anything that's negative that could affect our survival or safety or our spiritual emotional mental physical or financial well-being So we have these triggers that go on or off, on or off all day long. And most people are unconsciously incompetent. They don't even know that this is happening. So when we start to make them consciously aware of here are the mechanisms, here's what's causing you to have self-doubt. Here's what's causing you to have fear. Here's what's causing you to procrastinate. Here's what's causing you to self-sabotage. Here's what's causing you to have anxiety or even panic, but you're not a victim of it. You can be in control of it. So the techniques, as you well are aware, is what does hypnosis do, which is one of the techniques I love to use in all of my programs, mm-hmm. and you are a master of it, right? So I am a, I am going to bow, bow kindly to your master uh, mastery of that so what does hypnosis do what does visualization do what does you know uh, affirmations or visualizations or self-talk and emotional regulation do what does mental contrasting do is in the right setting either through somebody who guides you or through you know doing it yourself if you learn the techniques you're bypassing that critical thinker you are quieting the frankenstein's monster And you're accessing the power center of the brain, which is the subconscious. And it's in this subconscious that we can actually go in there and reprogram like a software programmer can go in and recalibrate Mm -hmm. their software. That's where the software is that's running the show. And so we have developed these habits of being ourselves. And so we have to. Uh, do if we want to let go of the habitual thought or emotional or behavioral destructive or negative patterns is we have to go to the source of where the pattern is. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I must admit, I find singing is so easy because, of course, I believe that all of our fears, our our biggest fears, the fear of being rejected. And of course, you're absolutely right that the mind Will always do more to avoid pain than it will to seek pleasure because our mind's job is really not to make us happy but to keep us alive and i found that if you have a stress and you start to sing any song it's why bomb disposal experts whistle it's why marines when they're running a marathon sing because if you sing when you're feeling anxious or stressed your body goes well you're singing i guess you must like it you know if ever you have to have a shot we call it a jab in, and, and you sing as the needle goes in or you sing as you're having some painful procedure singing sends really bypasses all of that fear because the body goes if you're singing you must be having a great time you wouldn't be singing if you're unhappy and i find it's a really great way it's like Robbie williams has this album called sing when you're winning and i think it's and, a, the, and the association
1: is yeah, right yeah because for example if we look up and smile yeah we're really in so many neurochemicals, of yeah. uh, uh, happiness, of joy, of hope, of, uh, of, of grandeur, yeah, that it's almost impossible to feel shitty and lousy and stressed yeah. out when we're looking up and smiling. So there's a variety of different techniques yeah, to reactivate the sympathetic nervous system, which is the fear circuit. And so most people don't have the techniques to interrupt the pattern and then go in and recalibrate the pattern so that the same trigger doesn't cause the fear. So I've often said, uh, I've asked every audience that I've been in front of, how many of you are afraid of public speaking? And usually there's 80% of the hands go sure. up. And I say, none of you are afraid of public speaking. You're afraid of speaking in public and maybe fumbling or stumbling, yeah. and then being embarrassed, ashamed, ridiculed, judged, or rejected. That's what you're actually moving away from. It's not public speaking. Right, you call it public speaking, but you're moving away from an emotion that you yeah. don't know how to regulate and manage.
0: And do you think the other thing, because I find this with my clients a lot, that they don't have the tools, or well, they also have a belief, yeah, but all of those tools, it, it's so long and it's such hard work and it's so complex. We've, we've been taught, I think, a lot by the medical profession that if you have a complex problem like anxiety, it requires a very complex treatment. If you have a complex eating disorder... Even um, to some degree, depression, because we believe that's complex. We believe, therefore, that the treatment is complex. And I've never found that to be the case. I found that the most complex things, like fear of public speaking, can be overcome so easily. And so I think you're doing a great job of simplifying it. But then the next thing is maybe it doesn't take, it's not hard work. Would you say to people, it is not hard work to do what you do?
1: not hard work at all it's consistent work yeah consistent and and when we when we um consider the neural patterns that have been reinforced become the dominant patterns Mm. it's like a highway system in any in any city you've got the small little streets you may have the new streets and you got the highway system so some of our neural patterns and conditioning um they're just very very strong roads yeah and we just recreate some new roads, new roads mm-hmm. and reinforce those and make those more dominant, then we can change that. And I know you and I agree that in some cases the identity that we have around a certain fear that we have or eating disorder or weight or anything like that, if we just shift the identity, then we shift the behavior that recreates different results. And so we are creatures of habit that repeat patterns Mm. over and over and over again. And either on our own or through help, we can use techniques and tools that we know work. Now, you just have to make a decision. Are you committed to achieving a new result or are you committed to keeping the old? And as soon as you make a commitment to change, then change is possible and there are techniques for making change easier and I like easier and faster um, you know versus fast but you can do them relatively fast I agree with you
0: yeah because I saw that when I had some friends they were they used to be in the, the Boomtown Rats and they were like very hard living rock stars and they became vegans they just made a decision overnight I don't want to eat animals anymore and once you make that decision as you say a vegan or a that is your identity they don't go oh there wasn't any veg- vegetarian food, so I just had to eat the beef. Once you make it your identity, once you kind of affirm, this is me, this is who I am, and this is what I do, it actually becomes very easy to keep going because it's your identity. In the same way that athletes don't go, oh, I really can't be bothered to get up and train to go, no, I'm going to the Olympics, I'm getting a medal, I'm breaking a record, I'm playing for a team. And so you're absolutely right that the sooner you can say, this is who I am, as much as what I do, when you make it who you are, who am I, you know what am I doing, why am I doing it, it becomes much, much easier and and so many people just aren 't taught that, and I, mean, I do that with children, who are you, you know especially ones that are the bullies, who are you, you, know, you do you really need to get that need met by bullying and, and then they understand, of course not, or the kid who's being bullied and, and can 't stand up for themselves when you really get into who am I and affirm who you are, why you're doing it. It's all so much easier.
1: I remember a story from Lou Tice many years ago about a child who was getting bullied in a school, and the parents had enough because they weren't getting the support they needed uh, with the principal and the teacher, so they moved schools. And what do you know? The kid got of bullied course. there also. And then they didn't like the way the school dealt with it, so they went to a third school. Yeah. And what do you know? The kid still got bullied. Of course. Until Lou Tice went in there and said, "You know, let's change your child's identity around mm. who he is, so that the bullying doesn't happen anymore." Yeah. And they did that, and the bullying stopped. Magical, right? Yeah. You know, identity creates destiny. Right. But what most people do is just a lack of skill and awareness is they take a look at a result that they have or a behavior that they consistently do. And they keep recreating the result and the behavior and reinforce the identity and the belief structures that causes it all instead of saying, "Okay, what is it that I would like it to be? What is the identity for that? What are the character traits of that? What are the beliefs that this person who already has that embodies? Then so what are the behaviors that they are consistently taking? And then how do we make those behaviors habitual? How do we make those thought patterns habitual? And when, we, when we're talking about that, now we're getting to the domain of neural networks and patterns and the old patterns are easy in the brain to fire off because we've invested so many years developing the habit and then the habit develops us now the question is if we want to change habits are you aware of how to do that and most people are like no mm. I don't and there's a place in the brain called the striatum that's connected to our hippocampus and as you can tell I'm, I'm into the science of all this because I want to understand mm. like, what is actually going on in the brain and we know that uh, through visualization, through whether it's uh, hypnotherapy, guided or, uh, or self, through uh, a variety of different evidence-based techniques, we can uh, repattern, rescript, reshape mm-hmm. the part of our brain that runs automatically based on automaticity. And if we make the new pattern automatic, then that pattern reinforces itself. So it has to start with, well, what's the identity? You know, what's the yeah. identity that you want? What are the character traits? And as I mentioned, uh, we can do that, and that's why you know you and I are, are friends um, uh, as business, you know, um, uh, colleagues. But we also love the same uh, the same genre of how do we help people?
0: Yeah, I think most people just don't understand that the mind is so hardwired to go back to what's familiar. That's its job. You know, if you're a little kid of two the very age when you could wander out on the prairie and pick your own berries is you won't eat anything that you don't already know it's not familiar i don't want it i don't want that yogurt it's got lumps in it i don't want that cereal it's in the wrong dish with the wrong spoon and parents find kids so annoying they call it the terrible twos but in fact our mind has kept us alive by making us resist unfamiliar so, so if we lived in a fort in the middle of the Wild West, we wouldn't say, I think I'll go out for a walk. I'm a bit bored living in this ward fort yeah. because the familiar makes you safe and the unfamiliar makes you unsafe. But of course, the exciting thing is if if we're wired to return to what's familiar, we just have to make new things. So it's like, you know, the first time I put a lens, or I put a little bit of silicone on my finger. I shoved it in my eye. That was so on when my eye started because because what the hell is that? Get that out of your eye. But by repeatedly doing that every day, eventually shoving that bit of silicone in my eye became so I could do it with well, America And then taking it out, actually squeezing your eyeball is right. so unfair yeah. especially if you've got nails. But if you keep doing it, it just becomes absolutely familiar. And so it is with like bench pressing or doing nice. squats or lunges or having a cold shower or doing our, you know, our friend Wim Hof, ice baths. Whatever you decide to make familiar, you can make familiar. So you have to make a decision. I'm going to make good things familiar, putting myself out, taking a risk, asking for stuff. And I'm going to make negative stuff, like putting myself down, unfamiliar. But it's a choice. You first have to think, what's familiar in my life? Procrastination, self-sabotage. Can I make that unfamiliar? You've got to make negative stuff unfamiliar and positive stuff. I've found the best thing is to make praising yourself super familiar And criticizing yourself so unfamiliar and if you just did that it would change your life so much but I want to talk about something that you have done a lot that's really life-changing which is vision board so I'd love you to share your vision board story because it's so impressive
1: sure so in the line of what we're talking about you know setting your vision setting your goals what are the beliefs you need to achieve those goals what are the things you need to do to achieve your goals, which is all part of what I learned how to do 40 years ago as part of my goal achieving process. Uh, in the early nineties, um, I'm not sure where I've heard this. It may have been a seminar or a book that I read, um, but um, the instructor said, well, if you have a, a goal, whether it's for a car or a home or something charitable that you want to do, why not, create a visual representation of it. And they said, why don't you cut out, you know, pictures from magazines of the thing or the representation Mm -hmm. of the thing. And um, so I started to cut out pictures of cars, uh, shoes, belts, suits, uh, sunglasses that I wanted, buildings I wanted to own and, and so forth. And I had cut out this one home from Dream Homes Magazine. And uh, at the time I was living in Indianapolis in the middle of America, and uh, I was building a company called Remax. And um, uh, every day I would not just look at my goals and the beliefs that I needed and visualize that, Mm. but I would look across my desk to my vision board. So I had one board for health, for the body that I wanted, Mm -hmm. another board for wealth, and another board for a home that that I wanted, et cetera. That's six different boards. And every day I would just visualize it and I would emotionalize it and I would walk myself through this one house. And I used to say one day when I could live in any home that I want, I'll live in a house like that one. Mm-hmm. And I didn't even know where the house was. It, uh, uh, it was just a, it, in the magazine. I just cut it out and said, mm-hmm. I liked that. And I visualized and emotionalized and saw myself walking through the orange grove and the tennis court and mm-hmm. the swimming pool for two years every day and then i put the vision board away because i moved from indianapolis to vancouver british columbia uh put all my my furniture in storage from british columbia and moved to la from la to san diego i got San Diego. i bought a house renovated it and in um in january of 2000 uh the renovation was finished we moved in in march of 2000 and the vision board that i had put away five years earlier they finally brought it to my home and along with all the other furniture and everything else. And one morning, um, my son Keenan comes into my home office. We've been in a house for two days and there's boxes everywhere. We're in my home office and there's these boxes against the door and he sits on the box and he's banging the boxes with his legs. And he was about five and a half at the time. He said, daddy, what's in the boxes? And I said to him, I said, sweetheart, they're my vision boards. And at five and a half, he goes, your vision board? What's a vision board? And I said, well, when I have a goal or a dream, you know, the, of something that I want, I put on my vision board. And he goes, a dream like we dream at night? I said, no, sweetheart. Uh, let me just show you. So I cut open the box, took the um, all of the uh, stuff that was around it, opened up the box, pulled out the first vision board. I looked at it, and there was a uh, Mercedes-Benz Converbal that I wanted mm-hmm. that I bought. There was some other stuff that I said, see, this is... This is a goal that I have, the car and the Mm. shoes and this. And then I pulled out the second board and right in the middle of the board, there was this picture of this house. And for a second, I thought somebody was playing a trick on me. Mm. And I was thinking, how is this house on this board? I was standing Mm. in the house of the picture that I cut out from a Dream Homes magazine five years earlier. And I was wondering, how did my, House gets onto the board. And then I realized, oh, my God, I have been visualizing that house for two years. Yeah. It's been in storage now for five years. And tears started running down my face. And he goes, Daddy, why are you crying? And I say, sweetheart, I think I'm starting to understand how we manifest things from the non-physical world yeah. to the physical world. And he said to me, what's manifest?
0: <laughs> yeah. So,
1: That was a magical moment that I still, Marissa, I still can't explain because I didn't know where the house was. Mm -hmm. I didn't know how much it was. I didn't even know that I was in the house that was on my vision board because the vision board picture was from the back of the house that I had visualized. So I never even knew that it was the house. So something is going on.
0: Oh, definitely. Mm I was um, standing on the canals in Venice, California in Christmas 2017 because they have a Christmas parade and I was standing outside this house and this guy drew up in a Porsche and he had a little Pomeranian puppy and he got out and I remember thinking, wow, when you live in that house, you've really made it and he walked in, you know, the Porsche, the dog and it was an amazing canal side house and so that was December 2017. And in January, in December 2019, we were actually buying a house, and we'd actually gone into escrow. And I, I'd just come back to London, and I was sitting and this house guy, I said, oh my God, that house is nicer. We flew back to L.A., got out of escrow, and bought the house. And it was the same house that this guy had dri- driven up to just a year before, and I said, wow, you've made it when you live in that house. And my husband uh, and I were like you are. two children. We always say we'll never get jaded. It is the most amazing house. But it's so funny that I have a photograph of us standing outside it exactly, watching this parade exactly. And I'm sure on the video I'm saying, wow, imagine living in that house. I am. And a year later, we're living in that house. And so I do believe in that. I think the problem is a lot of people manifest the wrong, I'm going to get a headache because I didn't get enough sleep. I'm going to get a sinuses because the heating's come on. I always get sick. Uh, around this time of year and we don't recognize that we're mad we say I always get ghosted every person I meet it never lasts more than three months because that's manifesting you're expecting it to go wrong and I think manifesting is so powerful and I I I say no let we're going to manifest it people say yeah I can manifest car parks and well it's great if you can manifest a car parking space manifest something way bigger than that because I think you can manifest anything. I mean, people who are sick, and I don't mean that people who are sick, because I've had some interesting illnesses, but people who have the kind of the headache sickness, the colds all the time, the irritable stomach, will always talk about, oh, I'm getting my irritable bowel, I'm getting my nervous tension, and, and no one explains you're manifesting it, because you focus on it. My mother did that all her life, and she was a great teacher because she was always ill.
1: Yeah. I, I totally agree with you. Uh, it's interesting because um, uh, I've spent the last forty years studying, you know, the neuroscience and neuropsychology, and you know, as a behavioral researcher who was an entrepreneur, I've also been fascinated with quantum physics and quantum mechanics and understanding, you know, what is happening at the level of the quantum field, and specifically the correlation between, you know, our thoughts, our predominant thoughts, and is it possible that I believe personally that we live in a participatory universe and there's the non-physical and the physical, Uh, but is it possible that in the quantum field that we are in um, with the positive and negative and the the, uh, endless possibilities and options, is it possible that since everything is in a state of potentiality in the field of particle or wave, is it possible our thoughts are actually collapsing the wave function and creating the particle uh, meaning the physical manifestation Mm -hmm. and from all of my research and my own experience the answer is unequivocally yes so if i can be at choice and i could take this hundred billion dollar or trillion dollar brain of mine and I could become a better operator of what wave function am I collapsing? Is that not the highest level of my being and my experience as a human? So, if we want to take a look at what is it that we are creating, um, just take a look at your results. Yeah. You know, having you'll have a very clear picture of the thoughts, the emotions. And the behaviors that you took or the behaviors that you didn't which i consider our behaviors and so maybe it's time we just become better operators of our own mind and maybe we can become better at regulating our own emotions which is the energy in motion in our bodies and the energy that we are transferring to others so that is the domain that i love to play in is let's look at it from the quantum all the way through to the physical. And if we are in the position to utilize this electromagnetic switching station called our brain to tune in like a radio can tune in to 95.5 is classical, 95.6 is rock and roll, 95.7 is punk rock, uh, why not tune into the station of what we want instead of the station of what we don't want?
0: Yeah, I actually believe in that. To always say, you know, when you've got a brilliant mind, you've got two choices, rationalize why you feel so bad or talk yourself out of it. And you might as well talk yourself out of it because it's the same operating system except you're getting a better result. So can I ask you a bit about neuroplasticity?
1: Sure. So we used to believe in the, uh, you know, 50s, 60s, 70s that we were born hardwired. And that's Mm -hmm. what the term... Um, you're just like your mother. Of course. You're just like your father. That's where that term you're Too is.
0: late to change, like. yeah.
1: Too late to change. You're, you're, you'll you'll never life. amount to yeah, much. And sure. So we used to believe that because, you know, number one, we were studying human brains, cadavers, dead brains. Yes, yeah, absolutely. And, and so, you know, we had limited understanding of our own brains and that our brain is actually not only creating new connections. Um, let me digress for just one second and just just pose some questions that I know you know the answer to is. When we were born, when we now know that our brain has approximately hundred billion brain cells, when we were born, were we born with any beliefs? No. Were we born with any habits? No. Were we born with any self-image of ourselves or how good we are or how successful we could be or how poor we could be? No so the question is how did we develop beliefs what are beliefs what are habits what is self-image and the answer to simplify it is it's nothing more than reinforced neural patterns in our brain that we got through the imprinting modeling and experiential years for the most part by parents or grandparents or teachers that had very limited understanding about the brain and psyche and psychology and the development of the human brain and so we had developed or we developed these limiting beliefs a limited self-awareness uh disempowering habits in many cases and then we just reinforced them over our 20s mm. 30s 40s 50s 60s 70s we just reinforced these patterns which then our subconscious mind just runs automatically to conserve energy so When we talk about neuroplasticity, what we started to discover, and Dr. Michael Merzenek was one of the forefront leaders in the world uh, on neuroplasticity, they realized that our brain wasn't hardwired, that our brain was Mm, softwired, that we did have neural patterns that were reinforced and stronger, but we could deactivate those neural patterns and we could deliberately and consciously create new patterns. And if we just reverse how we reinforce the old patterns deliberately, we can actually deactivate a pattern that may be destructive or disempowering us. And we can create a new pattern that's more empowering, more constructive, more positive, that will empower us. So neuroplasticity is just the science of activating that neuroplasticity switch which is mostly in an off state by the time we're 12 13 years old and what we need to do is through curiosity through fun through space repetition um, through challenge we can actually turn this switch back on and create new patterns and the same is true for neurogenesis we thought that we were born with a certain number of brain cells that we didn't make anymore And now we know that even into our 60s and 70s, our hippocampus is creating more neurons uh, as well. So that's neuroplasticity. You're not a tree, you can change. You just need to have the process for how to.
0: Exactly. So what I want to hear about particularly is your personal journey with mindset and neuroscience. Have Have you always been fascinated with human behavior? Or did something in particular spark your interest?
1: Something very painful sparked my interest. Oh, do, do tell. <laughs> I was 20, 23 years young. Yes. Um, and um, I was working really hard after traveling around the world. Um, and I ended up with severe ulcerative colitis.
0: Wow. And I
1: had ulcers in my colon, which means that my colon was inflamed. And I had zero bowel control movement for, or zero bowel control for two years. I was taking 25 salazopyrin pills a day to reduce the inflammation. I was doing a cortisone enema in the morning, cortisone enema at night. And I was doing a sigmoidoscopy once a month at the hospital to see in my rectum, going up my rectum into the colon to see how high the colitis the ulcers were. And after two years, the doctor, his name was Dr. Wu said to me, well, John, um, you are precancerous, And if this doesn't get better, we're gonna have to remove a bunch of your colon. And I'm like, what? <laughs> 23, What? Wow. 24 years old. What are you, crazy? What do you mean? And so I started going, what's causing this? And so the research that I did back then, which is uh, you know 37 years ago, back then, pointed to one of a few things. Number one, possibly a, a genetic predisposition. So mm-hmm. in my DNA, there was a predisposition for colitis. I later found out that that's actually true because I did a test a couple of years ago. So I had a genetic predisposition um, and then stress could activate that. Diet, sleep, exercise could could, um, propagate that. And so I asked myself, well, what could I do to reverse the activation of colitis or ulcerative colitis? And so I heard something or read something about psychoneuroimmunology, which is simply the mind-body connection. So your thoughts affect your cells Mm -hmm. and affect the neurochemicals that are released and uh, what you thought and what you focused on uh, really affected the entire neurochemistry and biology. So every day, uh, here's what I did. So I'm gonna start exercising. I'm gonna start eating well. I'm gonna start to, uh, I'm gonna eliminate alcohol um from my my behavior Uh, i'm going to take time out for myself so i'm not working 20 hours a day trying to make money and i created this affirmation for myself marissa and it goes like this my body and all its organs were created by the infinite intelligence in my subconscious mind this infinite intelligence created all my muscles bones tissues and organs and it, it has the ability to heal me and make me whole and perfect now Wonderful are the creative uh, wonderful is the creative intelligence within my subconscious mind? It is making me whole and perfect now. I am now perfectly healthy. I read it 25 times a day. I recorded it onto my cassette tapes and listened to it with headphones on or in my car while I drove. I visualize my colon getting better every single day. Five weeks later, colitis went away. Took the pills, threw them out the window, never had colitis again. 12 years ago, I was 43 pounds heavier than I am right now, 33% body fat, borderline hypertensive, alcoholic, sugar addict, uh, fatty liver, and, and then some. I said, holy mackerel, look what I Manifested and created. (laughs) Yeah. Followed the exact same process at 48. So I'm going to get into the best shape of my adult life by 50. I released all the fat, got into the best shape of my life, avoided being on medication, avoided all of the ramifications of my effects. (laughs) Yeah. And got the best shape of my life. Yeah. Um, I've I've done that to build businesses for my health, for, for a variety of different parts of my life. So any time that I am experiencing an effect mm-hmm. that isn't to my taste, I always look at how do I change the cause? And all of it starts with... The thought. The, yeah. the three-pound mass. The thoughts I'm having, yeah. the emotions I'm having, the behaviors I am taking or not taking, and I recreate by starting with the vision of what I want versus what is.
0: So that's an amazing story at 23 to have to have, I mean, I can't even imagine having colonics like that because they're so uncomfortable and horrible and painful. Actually, I shouldn't say that because I'm actually, some people find them absolutely fine, but 23 that was a real lesson for you in how you had to change but I know you've had some other lessons I know you talked about having to forgive your father so you've helped other people a lot master their mindset but can I ask you about this journey you had where you had to really because a lot of people can't do forgiveness and they, they they can't get over they either can't get over guilt, they've done something bad, or they can't forgive someone else, because they feel if I forgive them, it makes it okay. It doesn't make it okay. Forgiveness is not for the other person, it's for you. But I'd love to hear your story about how, you had, why you had to forgive your father, how you came to do it, and what a difference that made to you, and how old you were when you decided, I'm going to have to forgive him for my sake, not his sake.
1: Yeah, so a couple of things. When, when I was younger... I didn't do well in school, and when I brought my report cards home, um, my father, if he didn't like the grades, which was all the time, because there were D's and F's mostly, Mm -hmm. um, I failed English, failed math, um, and didn't do well in school. I hated it. I fell behind when we moved from Israel to Montreal where they spoke French and English, I only spoke Hebrew, so I fell two years behind very, very quickly. So I got into a lot of trouble in school. I was in the principal's office all the time. I was in detention centers because I got into lying, stealing, cheating, doing drugs, selling drugs and doing breaking and entries uh, when I was uh, 15, 16, 17 years young. And my father did not know how to communicate uh, except with his fists and feet. So he would punch me, kick me to the point of uh, a beating. Uh, and, uh, And that would include you know, uh, using his belt as well. And, um, so, uh, when I was in my early twenties and I started, um, my personal development journey, I thought up until then, up until 19, actually, that everybody was out to screw you. So you Mm. might as well screw everybody else. That was, it was a dog eat dog world. That was my paradigm Mm. of what I learned on the streets. And uh, I met a mentor that uh, shifted my paradigm into kindness and love and upgrading my knowledge and skills. And I went to an event. And at this event, you know, I shared that, you know, I hate my father. You know, he beat me. He doesn't love me. Um, And uh, the individual um, asked me, did you ever ask your father why he beat you? I said, no, he's an asshole. He's this. I was angry, Mm -hmm. you know. And he said, well, why don't you at least ask him why he beat you up? And so one day I got the courage by phone because I was living in Toronto. My father was in Montreal. I got the courage by phone. And I remember my heart was just thumping with How fear. How old
0: were you then, by the way?
1: 22, three, 22, okay. In that same time, time mm-hmm. frame, okay. 21, 23. And I said, Dad, uh, there's something I want to ask you. Uh, uh, why did you used to beat me so? so hard like why why did you just talk to me i'm getting chills as i'm telling you this right it's just like visceral for Mm. me right now he says i wanted you to be a good boy he said you know you didn't listen to 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 talking and my father went to grade five didn't really know how to communicate Mm. his hands and his feet and his belt were his communication tools and uh he said i wanted you to stop doing what you were doing i said but but didn't you love me he says of course i loved you that's why i did it He said, that's what my father did to get me in line Mm. so that I would be a good boy at the time. And the first thing that happened was it dawned on me, he didn't do it because he hated me. He did it because he didn't know how to do it differently. He did it because he loved me and he was trying to get me to comply with being a good citizen. So that was part one. And... Then the other part was around forgiveness for his ignorance and forgiveness for his lack of skill. Right, so once I understood why he did it, it gave me the courage to forgive him. But I also learned what you said before was, I forgave him so that I could let it go. So that I could be free of my hatred for him, so yeah, I could course. be free of my resentment mm. and anger for him. You know, it's like I was taking the poison pill hoping he would die. Sure, of course, of course. <laughs> right, and as soon as I forgave him, you know, and um, I don't think he ever said I'm sorry because he didn't think he did anything wrong. Yeah. Um, like if I asked him today, Hey dad, how can you never apologize? He says, Oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) You're just a bad nonchalant. Mm. He's 91 now. And, um, and so we have a phenomenal relationship, but I, but I, I had to understand what caused the behavior. I didn't have to, but that's what came out of this. Uh, and then I forgave him so that I could be free and I can go Mm. on. And then what's really, really interesting, Marissa is also because of how he was, Mm-hmm. I was the opposite type of father to yeah. my sons. Yeah. With so much love and discussion and caring and kindness and, 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 uh, and lifting them up at every mm-hmm. opportunity. Um, and there's been the biggest gift that I've had that I can share with them. So now I can be in in thankfulness yeah. and gratitude for my father being like that with me because I endured, Yeah. right? Um, but I had to change my frame and I had to develop the courage to speak with him, to understand. Um, and then I had to, uh, I didn't have to, but I chose to release the anger and resentment by Yeah, you chose him, to, yeah. Uh, and the hatred, mm. because the hatred was within me. He was going about his life, he had no idea. And so as soon as I did that, I was free to be me.
0: And all, all those two things happened when you are about 23. So have you had any other key times in your life and you've had a real learning experience or something has absolutely changed you for the better?
1: Yeah, um, about, uh, let me see, I had a business experience. um, I'm trying to remember the year, 2009, 10, 11, where I had invested uh, multiple seven figures in a business with a very good friend of mine um, that uh, my wife and I lent him uh, a bunch of money Uh, And the business took off like a rocket ship. We were co-CEOs of this business. uh, And then he ended up with severe bipolar disorder. And it was, it was, it was devastating because the friendship uh, was lost. Uh, We had to close the business down. We lost millions of dollars. Investors lost millions of dollars. My reputation was tarnished because I was the front guy. He was the behind the scenes guy. Um, And... um, you know, I was blaming him, he was blaming me, uh, investors were blaming me, investors were blaming him. I had a massive lawsuit with one of my investors for three years, which cost another million dollars, you know, in uh in in sunk money, just sunk you know, mm. chase, chasing just to get out of the situation that you um, couldn't get out of. Um and so for for quite some time I blamed myself for my poor judgment, for not doing what I needed to do to have proper legal agreements in place uh, in case certain scenarios did. And um, it took me two years, and I was drinking a lot of alcohol to suppress my own Mm. feelings. Um, So I'd have a couple of cocktails when I got home at night, I'd have a bottle of wine with my wife. I did that every single night for two years. And instead of facing the reality, I dove into alcohol to suppress. Yeah, sure right? So I just used alcohol as a way to deal with emotions and the situation that I've never been in. Um, Just about everything I had done from the age of 19 to 2009, let's say, everything was successful. Two multi-billion dollar companies, then this, then another multi-million dollar company, then this one, a massive failure. I mean, massive failure, right? So took off like a rocket ship, only to explode in midair, and I was left, you know, with the carnage. And um, so I had to, uh, I had to uh, surrender to the situation. I had to accept. I didn't have to, but this is where I went to. I went to forgiveness of my um, partner, my business partner. I went to forgiveness of the person in the mirror, me, who was blaming himself. Um, I went to forgiveness to. Um, drinking too much to suppress instead of express to try and, uh, keep the harmony between my, it was my best friend, um, between us. So a lot of the, the emotions and the behaviors, um, I was embarrassed and ashamed about sure. because here I am in the personal development field and, and look what just happened to me, yeah. <laughs> right? It's so look, what just happened to me. And, uh, once I was able to reconcile that, I, um, I gave up alcohol 12 years ago. I haven't had a drink in 12 years. Since September of 2009, I have not had a drink. Um, And I got into the best shape of my life. I started my new company that has taken off for the last 10 years and was doing great. Um, I've got a phenomenal relationship with my wife. So everything became better after I got real, surrendered, accepted, changed the narrative, released the shame and the blame and the guilt uh, myself. Accepted responsibility for my participation, Mm. of course, Um, and then I just focused on what I wanted instead of what I didn't want and uh, used it as it was a chapter in my book that, you know, like like in my book of life, you know, that uh, that helped carve out some character traits that um, I'm very proud of today.
0: Yeah, and you talked a lot about you know, how you had to change the narrative. I'm an idiot, I screwed up, I'm stupid, I'm, and, and, and all of those things. We all have a narrative, and we have to change the narrative. You have to forgive yourself. You know, In the Bible, it says, um, to err is human, to forgive is divine. I always think to err is human, but it feels divine. But then the next bit is you have to forgive yourself. Every religious tome practices forgiveness because you know Napoleon said a man who never made a mistake never made anything and you only learn by making mistakes so I love the fact that you've done that, um, that you you realise it's all to do with your thinking, and you know you and I are on the same page that the mind learns by repetition. You have to like wire in these new thoughts, just like just like upgrading the software on your phone or on your computer. You have to upgrade your own software and hardware.
1: So, what methods? Sometimes, we- sometimes, Go on. Sometimes, you know, um, I have found that. Because I read this, I study it, I mm-hmm. teach it, I create programs for it. You know, sometimes um, I'm the one who needs the tools myself. Well, of course, and yeah. I forget sometimes to hey, hold on a second. You yeah. have the tools. Yeah. You, need to use, you need to use the tools yourself. And so, for the last um, 12 years, I have been a, on a on a very um, consistent regiment of. Um, wonderful self-talk and emotional regulation and, and a daily habit of starting off every day uh, doing what I call is cognitively priming my brain. And so I have my exceptional life blueprint around you know, my vision boards that are in there mm-hmm. uh, for each area of my life. And then my vision and my goals and my mission and my whys and my and my um, uh, charitable countries and every area that I wanna focus on I've taken the time to get really clear on it, and I review it every morning.
0: Wow. How long does it take it? you? How long does that take every morning to review? Eight, eight
1: to ten minutes.
0: Yeah, because again, it, people think, oh, I haven't got the time. You know, I, My mornings are really tight. I, I just haven't got enough time. But when you actually decide it's eight to ten minutes, then you think, well, I'll get up ten minutes earlier. Because if that ten minutes is going to dictate my day, my week, my month, my year, my life... Then it is. Everyone has ten minutes. A lot of my clients, I just don't have time. But then, if you ask them this, they wait. We all waste a lot of time. So it's great that you you've taken it down to ten minutes, and everyone has ten minutes somewhere. You can find ten minutes. So, would you talk about some of the techniques that you would step that you would. Used to establish new neural pathways. I mean, you've just given us one. You write stuff out, and it only takes 10 minutes a day to really. And of course, when you're reading it, again, this is who you are. It's not what this is you. So you're going back to that whole identity. But give us some show habits, you. Yeah. some tips. Instead okay. Of,
1: instead of telling you, okay. uh, let, let me just show you an Okay. And everybody else. So give me one second. And let me find. Um, so for example, do you remember the health affirmation that I recited to yes, you Yes, I do. So on my iPhone, mm-hmm. uh, I, I have my affirmation written down, uh, but then I did this also. And all its organs.
0: Oh, you I, recorded my, it.
1: Intelligence in my subconscious mind. So you may re- remember what I just said yeah. to you live. I listened to the different parts of my life's vision my goals the affirmations the identity the story so i simply write it out Um, then i can either read it i could read it and listen to it i could read it listen to it close my eyes after i do that and i can visualize it yeah and i can feel the emotions of whatever it is that i'm reading Um, i can create language patterns um, that are going to reprogram my subconscious mind that I could either read in first person or second or third person I can record those mm-hmm. uh, which is what I do so I use uh, meditation mindfulness visualization affirmations declarations promises uh, I use subliminal programming I use guided hypnotherapy I use mental contrasting Um, either myself, but I've also developed my own programs for it for myself and for my clients for winning the game of money, winning the game of fear, winning the game of procrastination, winning the game of weight loss, winning the game of business. I've developed an entire line of brain training and priming programs to be able to reprogram my own subconscious mind. So I did it for for me first, uh, and then I started to offer it to my clients, and every one of them loves it and then for my private clients i actually create customized versions for them mm. so that not only you know they don't necessarily just want to have to do it with me they could do it at home in yeah. the morning or in the evening or on the weekends or wherever they are
0: and do you activate all the senses do you use what it looks like sounds like colors, smells colors, like tastes like smells, feels like color
1: yeah. smells sense uh, yeah uh, associations from the past an mm. animal that you might like Uh, Absolutely. I activate as many parts of their brain that they have associations with that are positive. I call that neural linking. So I'll give you an example. I love lemongrass. I love the lemon and lemongrass. Mm -hmm. Uh, I love dolphins. I love the color purple. And so on my vision board, I have all of these things on there here in my home studio, uh, I have an atomizer that I could put lemongrass on there because that just activates something within me that makes me feel good. So anytime we can activate any of our uh, senses, whether it's visual, auditory, kinesthetic, olfactory, um, then we are activating cells of recognition. And as you are well aware, the neurons that fire together. Why together?
0: Of work? course, of course. So if
1: I can take, for example, Uh, an affirmation that I don't believe right now, but I associate it with a smell, an animal, an experience, a a color that I do feel good with, guess what? I have just created a memory with this affirmation. And we know that practice is what makes permanent. Um, And so if I practice that, um, the visual that I share with almost all of my clients is this, imagine you're a Hollywood, uh, you're in Hollywood, right? And you're at a restaurant and uh, you see one of your favorite Hollywood uh, actors Mm -hmm. or producers or actresses and they come to you and they say, hey, listen, we've just been going over this new script and um, we think that you'd be perfect for this role. And if you learn this script, we'll pay you 10 million bucks. Mm -hmm. You go, oh, uh, I don't know how to act. They go, Don't worry, we'll teach you how to act. Uh, They go, well, I've never been in front of a camera before. Don't worry, we'll teach you how to be in front of the camera. So they would take away your fears and your worries. Mm -hmm. What would be the process by which you would take something that was written by somebody else that you've never seen? What would be the process by which you would practice that script? So let's say six months to 12 months from now, you could actually play that role without reading the script. And most people tell me, well, we'd read it a bunch of times. Uh, we practice it, we, mm-hmm. we rehearse it, we research it, we might you know record ourselves, we might film ourselves. I said, so in the practice is where you would learn, and in the learning you'd be more comfortable, and in the spaced repetition you develop the neural patterns, and once the mm. neural patterns went from conscious effort to a subconscious pattern, you wouldn't need the script anymore, and then you could just practice the script and get better at the script. Of course. So that's exactly... Yeah. How we develop a new identity and character and the beliefs is we do it in our mind first and then we practice it until it becomes more comfortable in yeah. our current.
0: It becomes real. I mean, I had to, a couple of years ago, drink this really kind of, it was sort of disgusting. It was this like brown medicine, like three times a day. And I'd always that this is yummy apple juice because the first time I tasted it was like, oh my God, I've got to drink that three times a day. And of course, you then you don't look forward to it. And I just kept saying yummy apple juice, yummy apple juice. And what was weird is it didn't actually ever taste like it. It stopped tasting disgusting. It just became neutral because you, you just have to say that and You in the same way that in a stage show, you can give someone an, an onion and say, that's an apple and they will eat it like it's an apple because if the mind believes something is real, it makes it real you know we, we see that all the time with people who get all kinds of illnesses or phantom limb pain and so well, I exactly what you were doing is just telling myself that this horrible medicine was apple juice and calling it yummy every time I go oh yummy I'm going to have this yummy apple juice now because people think you can't trick your mind you could trick your mind all the time after all if you were going to have a tattoo a sleeve tattoo you'd have a very different experience with needle than someone who hates needles because Someone who wants their whole arm tattooed is excited about it going in. A junkie will put the needle in their arm themselves, and to them it's pleasure. And, of course, you talk a lot about pleasure and pain and how you know the mind will do much more to avoid pain than it ever will to seek pleasure. But But we forget that we can choose what pleasure is. I mean, I wouldn't imagine gardening and and being covered in mud is pleasure but I know people who do for me cooking all day I my husband will go and start cooking what are you doing it's midnight I'm relaxing by cooking I I couldn't imagine chopping up vegetables and so but he finds it so relaxing so the thing is you have to choose what pleasure is and we're the only people who can I mean I could never stick my cat in a jacuzzi and go isn't this great but um but other people, we get to choose it. We're so lucky that we can choose what pain and pleasure is. So I know you've got this great thing called the law Law of Goya, get off your ass. I have um, the JFD, just freaking do it. But tell me more about Goya, get off your ass.
1: Sure, well... You know, especially after the movie The Secret, everybody mm-hmm. was a lot of attraction, law of attraction, law of attraction. And, uh, you know, think, believe in your machine. And I said, yeah. that's bullshit, that's bullshit. That's like, me too. I said, it's like, it's like, very, very bullshit. I said, every one of my friends who did not inherit wealth or a company or, or you know, a stock portfolio, every one of them. Has used the last six letters of the word attraction to achieve their success, mm. and the last six letters are action. Yeah, cool. Now it's not just action, because there's a lot of people who are busy working really mm. hard, doing the wrong things. So the key is to be in action, and do the right things in the right order at the right time, and. If we want to get into this manifestation world, the spiritual world, where everything comes from anyway, according to my own belief system, then is it possible for me to, uh, and I teach a model called SEMP, S E M P, is it possible for me to align spiritually with everything that already exists in the quantum field? Is it possible for me to manage my emotions, the energy in motion in my body? Is it possible for me to um, be aware and manage my own mindset and my focus and my self-talk? And is it possible for me to upgrade my knowledge and skills so that I physically get this aceraph into motion, doing the right thing? And is it possible that if I can align spiritual, emotionally, mentally and physically, is it possible that that is what coherence and flow and harmony is?
0: Yeah, at you point? know, you're, you're so correct because I've trained 10,000 10, people now in my own method, RTT, Rapid Transformational Therapy. And sometimes I'm in a class and I think, wow, a couple of the students, they're just so good at it. And you think, oh, they're going to be amazing But I've noticed that the ones who do really well believe they're really good and they go out and work hard. I I was talking to her and she said, well, yeah, I I don't believe in hard work. If it's hard work, then it's not for you. I believe that you can just... but, But that's ridiculous. If you want to buy a new home, you have to go out and look at them If you want to find a nice person, you're at least going to put yourself in front of them. They don't just appear and ring your doorbell. Well, maybe they might if they're the Amazon delivery guy. But on the whole, you have to have both. You've got to believe you're worth it and then you've got to go out and get it. And if you go out and get it without believing you're worth it, you'll probably fail. But if you believe you're worth it and you don't go out after it, you'll also fail. You have to, it's like people who say, no, I want love. What are you doing? Well, I'm staying at home. I'm just waiting for it to turn up. No, you have to go out and, you know, so I said, if, you, if you're if you a girl and you want love, get out of the yoga and go into the weight room. First of all, believe you're worthy of somebody amazing, of any gender. Believe you're worthy and then find out where they are and go and put yourself right in front of them. Because you, you can't give, you have to do both. You've got to, I'm worthy of love or success or joy or health or whatever it is you have to believe you're worth it and it's like when when you were sick and when I was sick I believed entirely that my body could fix itself I also had to juice and take all the parabens out of my life and stop sleeping with the phones in the bedroom and just do the things that, because you have you're a human being but you have to do stuff and I think People have got very confused with the secret and the manifestation. But I just sit on the couch and I meditate and it turns up. But it, but it actually, it doesn't turn up. You know, I, I, was, in, um, I was in Africa... And they I was staying in a honeymoon suite and all the little staff were going, Well, this is terrible. You know, you're on your they don't under, they couldn't understand why someone of my age didn't have a husband. And the witch doctor said, I'm gonna make you irresistible to men. I'm like, oh, go on then. So he threw some bones and did some incant, I don't know what he did. And then I came back to London and I that I remember that night I did not want to go out. I was so tired. But I had my friend staying and her husband. I'm like, look, he, poor guys just watch X Factor all weekend. We've got to go out. So we went to this place called Chelsea Arts Club, and I already knew my husband. He walked in, he wasn't my husband, obviously, he walked in, and we got married 10 months later. But the witch doctor throwing the bones wouldn't have worked if I hadn't also happened to go out that night, not wanting, he didn't want to go out either. And sometimes, you, but you have to take action. You've got to believe got to, in what. I don't yeah. Trust you. yeah, you've got to believe in what you want, believe, fight, decide what you want. You must really, really, really do anything and everything to make yourself know that you are worthy of what you want and then go out and get it. My cat doesn't go, yeah, a lion doesn't go, yeah, I'm really hungry, but I think I just manifest. They have to go out. When you watch all of those David Attenborough shows, they have to go out and stalk prey they know what they want but they was a gotta go out and get it because no one is bringing it to them and i really think we've missed a lot in education by not telling people decide what you want absolutely do everything use manifestation if you're worth it but then go and get it go and get it don't sit at home waiting what you That's want right. wants you but you've got to go and get it
1: I totally agree with you. There's, um, there's also the, 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 the piece around um, doing the right things, right? So I'll give you an example. Last week I was on a call. Uh, I have a winning game of business program that I coach about 500 business owners in. And um, I asked people during our Zoom call, um, I want you to write in the Zoom chat, uh, what did you do in the last 72 hours to make money? And uh, I said, how many of you worked really hard to make money in the last was Like everybody put their hands up and oh my God, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then, then when I looked in the chat, um, uh, I researched uh, how to build a website. I uh, uh, was focusing on writing some copy. Um, I was uh, uh, getting ready with a brochure. And I said, that's not making money. Those are behaviors getting ready to yeah, make cool. Money. Right? Yeah, cool. So, right? Many of you are working hard, but very few of you are actually doing the things that cause you to make money. I said, Now, when did you get in front of somebody and you showed them the benefits of your product, program, or service? Like, when were you face to face, belly to belly, or on Zoom, or you had people landing on your website? where you have a sales letter, or whatever your methodology is, where they can actually make a buying decision. That's money-making behaviors. And so a lot of people confuse activity yeah, of with productivity. Yeah, so absolutely. So part of it is an educational process, right? So we have to understand there are things that get us ready to make money, and then there are things that actually make money. Very few people know what to do to make money. Uh, And then even when they do very few people have a money management process Mm -hmm. and then there's money, you know, if we're talking about money, then there's investment and either you're gambling, speculating, or investing. Those are three different skills. Yeah. Uh, And then there is protection and then there is debt using it as leverage or getting out of debt and using the right strategies. So a lot of times people are busy, but they're not doing the right things. So in addition to being busy, you need to step back and say, what are the things that I should be doing that creates a predictable transformation or a predictable result? And here's something that I believe, Marissa, I think you will as well. It's 2021, right? 2022 time frame. Um, all of the how-to. How to put a robot on Mars. We know how to do that. How to put a human on on the moon, we know how to do that. Uh, how to build a business, we know how to do that. How to lose weight and keep it off, we know how to do that. How to let go of the depression, we know how to do that. How to have a great relationship, we know how to do that. How to write a book, we know, how to. We know most of the how-to that just about anybody watching, watching and listening to this would ever need. So how-to is really not your problem. Because if you are committed to an outcome, you could buy a book, a coach, a CD, a program, something on all the how-to, paint-by-number, step-by-step. That's not the problem most people have. The problem most people have is they don't believe they deserve it. Yeah. The problem most people have is they have limiting beliefs around mm-hmm. themselves, or they have yes. fears, um, or... Both. or You know, uh, they have disempowering habits that they Mm. don't know how to stop. So those are all inner game stuff. That's where you and I excel, is we help with the inner game that causes you to do the right things in the outer game. And if you don't get the inner game right, the outer game will never be right.
0: True. So I'd love to ask you, since you've been such a mine of information, what are your three top tips? You know, everyone's got their own thing. But for you, your three top tips for mastering your mind, what are the three things that John Assaraf does to master his mind on a regular basis?
1: So number one, I have absolute clarity on my vision for my life and mm-hmm. each area of my life. Um, health, wealth, relations, career, business, fund experiences, charitable, a very, very clear vision for my life and each goal, part one. So I operate from a place of clarity, number one. Number two is every day I focus on reinforcing the vision and the goals. And then every day I take action on my highest impact producing activities and highest income producing activities that are in alignment with my highest values. So my first highest value is God, second highest value is health, which is spiritual, emotional, mental, Mm -hmm. and physical. Third is my family, Mm -hmm. fourth is contribution, fifth is fun and experiences. So I've designed my life to operate from my higher values down to my lower, and I make as many decisions as possible to develop the habits and the behaviors to align with that.
0: You have been so incredibly helpful. I don't think a single person can't listen to this and think, wow, I, I can do that, and I can do that, and I can probably do that too. So, John, where can we find you? I, I know that people are going to want to read your books and go to your sure. website, but where can we find you?
1: Sure. So um, my books are available on Amazon, so I have my newest book, Inner Size, The New Science to Unlock Your Brains in Power. I've got Having It All Behind Me, The Answer, as well, for business owners. Uh, I'm on Instagram at John Assaraf. I'm on Clubhouse at John Assaraf. I'm on my Facebook fan page. uh, And then my website, johnassaraf.com or my company website is myneurogym.com. M-Y-N-E-U-R-O-G-Y-M.com. YouTube, podcasts, um, like you, I'm I'm, I'm everywhere and anywhere. Good,
0: And, and like me, you have a very unusual name. We're so lucky we're not called. I don't know, John, John Smith. I'm, I'm John eternally John grateful <laughs> that I had a name that was different, just like yours. I mean, you said you hated that surname. I bet you love it now because a bit like Tigger... There's only one. You know that song, The Wonderful Thing About Tigger is that I'm the only one. I used to sing that to my daughter. She said, Mommy, why have you given me such a stupid name? Because her name is Phaedra. She said, I don't want that name. I want to be called something normal like Sky or Dolphin. I said, well, you could be called Sky or Dolphin. But I'd always sing her that song about the wonderful thing about Phaedra is that you're the only one. And now she's a very successful artist. She loves having her, her name isn't. Sue Smith, nothing wrong with being Sue Smith, but when you want to find someone like John Assaraf or indeed Marissa Peer or indeed Phaedra Peer, we're so lucky that our parents gave us an unusual name because we manifested, we lived up to that. So there's only one John Assaraf and you can find him and I'm sure that we're going to be looking for you and I'm going to be seeing you in San Diego very soon. I'm very excited. Thank you, John. You've been a pleasure, a joy, and such a wealth of information. Thank you so much.
1: Right back to you. I love being with you and your audience. Thank you.
0: Thank you very much indeed. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Master Your Mind with Marissa. I'm Marissa Peer, founder and creator of rapid transformational therapy known as RTT. RTT is my life's work and passion combined into a unique and proven program for therapists to create powerful change with their clients. I feel blessed every day to see the transformations it brings and the ripple effect it's creating in the therapy world. To find out more, visit RTT.com.